So this is a bit where I'm a little bit of a hypocrite because I'm in the, all these writing workshops and stuff and I tell people all the time how much I don't like characters having thoughts to themselves, like thinking this stuff and believing this stuff and he believed this and he remembered that and blah, 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 blah. And I tell them all the time, don't use thinking words. Thinking words are bad. Just show us that. Make us, if you want them to long for something, tell us enough about the thing that we long for it. And that's so much better. And then I go back and I look at this book and I realize that I do this crap all the time. And I'm a complete hypocrite. Welcome back to the Hidden Things and Hidden Things. This is section 26 in which um, Calliope has a throwdown with her, with her sister. And, and sort of, actually, I really, really liked how that scene reads. You won't be able to tell this because Tim is a genius editor who's going to make me sound wonderful in every scene. But there were remarkably few retakes in there where I had to like redo a thing. There's these great long paragraph chunks where Calliope and Sandy are going back and forth to each other and they just roll right off my tongue. So for whatever reason, I am very comfortable reading an argument between two Midwesterners. Who would have thought it? Who, who could have possibly imagined that that, that would be um, something I would... Oh, okay, everybody that I know, that, that, that would be who would know. Okay, so Sandy says, I couldn't leave. And Calliope asserts that she chose not to leave, which is not the same thing. And the, the question there is, Calliope right, and Sandy just sort of hung herself on her own inhibitions and doubt. Or was she actually responsible? I'm going to come down on the side of Calliope on this one. And I think the closer I get to the end of the book, the more I'm going to come down on Calliope's side with these kinds of things. She's got enough of an insight into this stuff that she sort of understands it. But her sister might have felt obligated in some way. Like, my sister's gone. If I leave and run off, then it's just the folks and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, but she doesn't have to feel that way. And if she does feel that way, let's back up a couple more steps and realize that the reason that Calliope is gone and really, really their relationship is, is really broken between her and her parents is because of Sandy. Like Sandy did go to tremendous lengths to make sure that all of Calliope's little letters back to her family didn't get there until she finally got a letter that said, I'm leaving. Then that one she showed to her folks. So Sandy... If she feels obligated because Calliope is gone, it's because a couple years prior to that, she set that situation up and then she found out she was sort of trapped in it by a combination of some sort of obligation to her parents as well as guilt over the fact that she capitalized on the situation in the first place. Her mom and Calliope created the situation, but it would have been a week of drama probably had it not been exacerbated by Sandy throwing gasoline on the fire with one hand and rerouting the water that would have put it out with the other hand. So yeah, uh, she, she's a bit to blame for that. And if she felt obligated because of that, because she felt like she was partly to blame, then, well, yeah, it's kind of her problem. Calliope, I believe, would have eventually left. She was never meant to be a farmer. And to a certain extent, probably Sandy wasn't. She's not happy with her life. So if you're not happy with it, maybe you were meant to be doing something else. Or maybe you just wonder if you were meant to be doing something else. There's a funny story about that I'm going to tell you when I think about that. This line, never meant to be a farmer. When I was about six, I think, I was in first grade, give or take, and I was supposed to bring in this one of those poster boards with pictures of various things like my pet and like my favorite toy 
and stuff like that. And I was supposed to bring in a picture. And of course, I don't even tell my mom about this until like the, or I don't think I probably did tell her. Probably the teacher said, oh, by the way, Doyce has got this thing to do tomorrow. So my mom is frantically trying to help me get this thing put together or, or do it or whatever. And uh, one of the things we were supposed to take a picture of, or I was supposed to provide a picture of, like cut out of a magazine or whatever, was what I was going to be when I grew up. And we couldn't, we couldn't find anything. And I, my answers were all like terrible because, you know, at that point in time, I sort of had this thing that had this thing stuck in my head from like cartoons or whatever that everybody, every boy my age was supposed to say stuff like firemen and policemen and astronauts and stuff like that. So I probably said something like that. Don't get me wrong. Astronauts are cool, but I don't think I ever wanted to be one. And my, she's like, you know what? Here. And she hands me the Polaroid and sent me out to take a picture of my dad while he's driving a tractor around on top of a silage pile, packing it down, which I still, I still have that picture. I have a picture of my dad in this tractor and it's from a distance, but you know, I've still got it. And he saw me out there because what the hell else are you going to look out in the field? I'm out there, a little six-year-old with like the camera, the camera that the family had. So he notices, he doesn't say anything, he doesn't do anything at that point in time. I go back into the house and two or three hours, whenever he's done working, he comes back in and he goes, what the hell is he out there with the camera for? Oh, he had to take a picture for school. What do you mean he had to take a picture for school? Well, he had to take a picture. He had to put a thing on his board for what he, he, for what he wanted to be when he, when he grew up. Well, what the hell was he out there for? Well, he's taking a picture of you. And I hear this, and I remember this clearly, because I'm telling the story about it now. He points back into the living room where I'm at, and he says, that kid is never going to be a farmer. She goes, well, he might. He's never going to be a farmer. I won't let him. So Calliope is one of those kids. I think that Calliope's dad probably had some sort of discussion, or actually maybe Calliope's mom made a similar statement about their, their kid once upon a time. although. Fortunately for Calliope, I don't think she ever heard that discussion and it probably would have helped if she had. I did. I knew that my parents never expected me to do that. In fact, didn't want me to. In fact, it was at least as much. I worked every single summer and every single vacation on the farm and it was hard work and I did not like it and it did not suit me. And I am positive, looking back on it in hindsight, that it was far harder on my parents, especially my dad, than it was on me being out there because I was god-awful terrible at it. If Calliope hadn't left or hadn't waited, Sandy would have gone to college. She would not have married her high school sweetheart. Um, She would not have had a kid at 19 and 20 and 23. It would have been different. Or at least if you ask Sandy, that's what would have happened. Maybe if Calliope doesn't go right then, the exact same stuff happens. And that thought has probably occurred to Sandy too, and that's the thought that terrifies her. It's not such a terrible thing to marry your high school sweetheart, stay where your family grew up. None of that's a bad thing, but for Sandy, she's a person for whom it is a bad thing. So there you go. The the grass is greener, and people who grow up out there know grass. They spend a lot of time thinking about what ifs, I think. Or at least, I don't know. I might be projecting. Could be I'm projecting. Phyllis says, things change. And Calliope says, this place doesn't. And Phyllis says, oh, you think? And there's a lot. I mean, they they talk and they work out a lot of their stuff, but there's a ton of stuff that's happened in the family that she doesn't know about. She was only ever here until she was 16. And there's a lot of tunnel vision stuff that a kid that age just never actually picks up on. To Phyllis, everything has changed. She might be talking about the fact that Calliope's back and talking and stuff. That's a change for her. She might be talking about lots of different things. And if I can 
pull aside the wizard's curtain for a second. I don't know what she's talking about. I know that it's a joke between her and Calliope's dad based on a conversation that they had probably when they were talking about the kids and how freaking tunnel vision they were. And it's probably been ages or they were talking about maybe just a year ago or a month ago. But it's funny to Phyllis because it's a conversation that she had with Calliope's dad. And when Calliope's dad gets home tonight, one of the first things she's going to tell him about is going to be that comment that Calliope made. And they're both going to have a laugh over it because of something, some conversation they had. I know that much. I just don't know what the conversation is. And frankly, I don't need to know. Calliope put two and two together in the sheriff's office and figured out based on what letter they said they got, what must have happened. She never tells anybody there or her mom on the drive home. She never tells them, I sent you dozens of letters. I sent you letters daily for a month. She never tells them that. She knows that. But when they say, we got the letter that you sent and it said you already left the state and it was a month later, she does the math and figures out how many must have been routed, but she never tells anybody. Phyllis doesn't know that about Sandy right now. And neither does dad. For whatever reason, Calliope did not crucify her sister when she had probably every right to. Calliope kind of had some stuff aired out there in front of people. Her mom, the one thing that she'd never really told anybody, like I threw her out, that's out now. That's another talk that that she and her husband are probably going to have later this evening or tomorrow or whatever. You know, there's there's stuff to work out there, but it's not, you know, it's not going to be a big deal with, with those two. They're, they've been through a hell of a lot worse than one argument in the, in the police department's office. There's a whole story with Sandy, with her and her kids, and the other weird stuff that happens out here in the wilderness that I didn't get to tell in this book, that I tucked away. <laughs> Actually, I'll tell you a funny story about this, and this isn't nearly as long as the other one. Um, as I was mentioning, my editor and my uh, agent kept coming back saying, we would like some more here. you know. And I wrote like 25,000 words, and I would knock this stuff out in like a couple of weeks and send it right back, like really quick turnaround. I do a lot of deadline type writing stuff that isn't this. So for me, I get this assignment. I just do it and send it back. It's a really quick turnaround, and that's not really how publishing works. So it sits there on their desks doing whatever they do. It does on their desk while they're doing all the other stuff they have to do. And I start thinking about what they're going to ask for next, because this is like the third or fourth time that I bounce this stuff back and forth where they ask. It seems like, you know, so that's great, but how about a little bit more here? Or how about a little bit more over here? So I start to, <laughs> I start to think about what they're going to ask for next. And I start to work out what that is going to look like, what that story is going to look like. And I work out this whole arc with Lauren and this whole other thing. And I work out this whole arc with Sandy. And then they don't ask for anything. They're like, this is awesome. This is exactly where we want it. And I'm like, but I, but I got this story now in my head. So should it ever come to pass that I've got some sort of green light or I'm just going to decide that I'm going to do it. I'm going to write another uh, story about the hidden things. I'll tell you two people that are definitely going to be in it. Sandy's going to be in it, for better or worse. She's not going to be very nice. And Lauren is going to be in it, which probably means Calliope's going to be in it. I'm not going to say more than that, but I will say that there's a what everybody considers to be kind of a throwaway line at near the end of the book that Josh says, that everyone's like, yeah, he just sort of says that. No, he doesn't. That's the setup for the whole second book. We'll get there. At some point, I'm, I might mention, like, it's in this part that I just recorded. At this point, I'm finishing this recording, we are entering stage five and 90% done with the book. We have two chapters left. 
two chapters left. The big, I guess the boss fight, not really a boss fight, but you know, got a couple more show. We got one more showdown, two more showdowns, three more showdowns. I guess it's all showdowns from here to the end, pretty much, except for the very next scene. The very next scene is Calliope and Vicus and the dragon. And a very special little scene that, again, was not a scene that was originally in the, that wasn't in the first sort of first draft. That, as we've possibly asserted here, this is maybe the A plot. You know, this whole thing with Calliope and her family, this is maybe the A plot. She just won the boss fight, her own personal boss fight. And when you're done with the boss fight, you get your reward. And this next scene is one of my moments where I get to give Calliope something good. And it's one of my favorite scenes amongst the 300 other scenes in the book where I've said this is my favorite scene. But this next one is really, 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 very probably my favorite scene in the book. So that's coming up next in uh, chapter 18 in stage five.